Huckabee. Greg Jarrett reveals the Russia hoax. Rip Snorton bull riding Huckabee style. And Matthew West performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Well, we've got a very lively audience here tonight, and I'm so excited about that and excited about this show and thrilled that you are here to join us. Now, I want to ask you a little question to start with tonight. Are you confused about the Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen cases this week and what in the world they have to do with Russia? Now, there's also that Pakistani IT guy who worked for Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the Democrats in Congress. He stole hundreds of thousands of dollars, possibly violated all kinds of security clearances, but the judge says he won't get any jail time. But former General Michael Flynn might. Does that sound a bit fishy? Maybe a little? Well, the mass media is having mass hysteria because a lawyer who admitted to numerous instances of lying, tax evasion, and loan fraud says that candidate Trump made an improper $130,000 expenditure of his own money for something that had nothing to do with the campaign. Now, the same media yawns that Hillary Clinton campaign spent over $9 million from campaign contributors to finance a phony document that was used in a conspiracy with people in the highest levels of the FBI and Justice Department that would influence the election and then later to delegitimize the election results. Now, to be clear, if Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen fail to pay the same taxes that you and I have to pay, they deserve their punishment. Let's be clear about that. And if they lied to get bank loans, I got no sympathy for the consequences they face. But if the only people who seem to get in trouble are Trump supporters, and not the people in the highest levels of government who have openly expressed their desire to stop President Trump. It makes cynics out of those of us who believe that justice is supposed to be blind, but not stupid. The entirety of the Mueller investigation was supposed to be about Russia. I want to say it again, nothing in either the Manafort or Cohen cases were even remotely related to Russia meddling in our elections. Now, in fairness, the guilty verdict on Manafort's past in very personal sins and the guilty plea by Cohen about his tax evasion and lying, that wasn't helpful to the president. It really wasn't. But the president isn't responsible for what people around him did, especially when it happened before he even knew them, or maybe it had nothing to do with him, but rather their proximity to him, which gives lots of ammo to his enemies and is a real distraction. Look, I want the president to be focused on the job he was elected to do, despite the fact that his opponents would rather the country fail than this president succeed. So to be blunt, just so you know, there are some sleazy people in politics. Trust me on this. I know them. And some will use their closeness to candidates and office holders for their own personal gain. I myself have been heartbroken by people that I've trusted. I've employed people who betrayed my trust. They lied to me or about me and said diametrically opposite things within days of each other for their own advancement or advantage. But here's what I want you to do. I urge you, step back, take a long look at the big picture and ask who is accusing who and for what purpose? Who's getting piled on and who's being allowed to skate and why? One thing is both certain and sad. The kind of politics of personal destruction will result in honest people not wanting any part of running for office or serving those who do run for office, whether they are Democrats or Republicans. My friends, when we routinely criminalize the political process by seeking to overturn elections by criminal courts, rather than by simply winning the election by better campaigns and better messages, it's not the defeated candidate who loses. The country loses. 
and we do great damage to a constitutional process of checks and balances. And that is my view. I welcome yours. You can always contact me at MikeHuckabee.com or respond to me on Twitter at GovMikeHuckabee. You can also reach me on Facebook. So all of those ways you can get in touch. Well, my next guest brings a wealth of expertise and insight to his job as the legal and political analyst for Fox News and Fox Business. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, do we need it this week. He has a brand new book. It's called The Russia Hoax, The Illicit Scheme to Clear Hillary Clinton and Frame Donald Trump. It has topped the New York Times bestseller list for several weeks. It is my pleasure to welcome Greg Jarrett. Greg, I have told people, I've said it on television, I tweeted about it, that your book, I think, is the most important one I've read. Right. Uh, because, and I said this to you, it's written for the jury, not the judges. And yes. by that I mean it's written so that ordinary people can make sense out of all that's happened. Help me frame for, for our audience, what is it that a lot of Americans need to know about this entire episode? You know, what I found amazing is that James Comey, then FBI director, wrote a long statement that Hillary Clinton had committed crimes. In fact, he wrote down gross negligence, which is right out of the felony statute, not once, but twice. But he and his confederates at the FBI wanted to clear her anyway. So they had Peter Strzok, top investigator of the FBI, sit down at his computer uh, several weeks before Hillary Clinton was even interviewed. And he sanitized the findings of Comey's statement by expunging the incriminating words. And then Comey stands in front of television cameras on July 5th, 2016, and he clears her in what was the most legally preposterous explanation I've ever heard. But most Americans didn't know at that same moment in a building in London, his FBI is meeting with the British spy, Christopher Steele, who had composed this completely fabricated anti-Trump dossier. And armed with that document, they were off to the races. That was their insurance policy to make sure Donald Trump did not get elected. And when that failed, they doubled down to try to undo the election results. I mean, this was happening the same day that he's making right. this comment, and in London, they're meeting. Greg, one thing that, that I think a lot of people, especially in light of what's happened this week, the Manafort case, the Cohen case, the, the David Pecker uh, the story, I don't think he's said this, but Wall Street Journal is reporting right. that the publisher of the National Enquirer is now going to uh, maybe uh, sing like a canary with whatever it is he may have. What significance does that play in all of this? What, what does that do uh, in unraveling what's going on? Well, I don't think it's going to unravel a lot legally, maybe politically, but, but you and anybody running for office can spend all of their money if they want. There are no limits. So if the money came from Donald Trump uh, to pay out to people in exchange for a non-disclosure agreement, which is legal and very common, there's no campaign finance violation. Uh, and moreover, not everything that benefits a candidate is a campaign expense. If there's another purpose, a dual purpose or a secondary purpose, it's not even a campaign expense. Uh, for example, if he, if he did it for personal and commercial reasons as well as to benefit his campaign, doesn't count as a campaign expense and thus it's not a violation of the law. But if you listen to the mainstream media, they have all but convicted Donald Trump in the court of public opinion. Just the other day, there was a study, an instant uh, study, that 222 times in the course of 18 hours when the Cohen story broke, CNN and MSNBC used the word impeachment. And I think a lot of Americans, uh, supporters of Trump say, look, this seems to be so one-sided. Opponents of Trump are thinking this is the greatest thing that ever happened. You know, sure. we didn't didn't beat him at the election, so we're just going to uh, criminalize him. 
and we're going to go after him in, in every way. There's two sides of this whole process of the Russian hoax, and I think you do a great job of laying out the parallel. One right. is all that's happening to the president before he was president and since. The other is how, and, and I don't want to belabor the Hillary Clinton part of this, but she apparently got away with some things that you wouldn't get away with, I wouldn't get away with, and not a single member of this audience would have gotten away with. That's right. She had 110 classified documents on her unauthorized, unsecured email server. They were classified when they were sent and received. So that should have been 110 felony charges against her. Uh, and the FBI knew this. The evidence was overwhelming and uh, it was compelling. And yet Comey stood there in front of cameras and said, no reasonable prosecutor would bring this case. He had just brought the same case against a young man, Brian Nishimura, just a few months earlier for doing just a fraction of what Hillary Clinton did, and others as well. And I go through the book and explain who they were, and they were prosecuted. But there's a different set of laws and rules for Hillary Clinton. She can break the law with impunity and get away with it. Point blank, is there corruption at the highest levels in the Department of Justice and in the FBI? Absolutely, it's a cesspool of corruption. I happen to think that the hardworking, honorable and honest men and women of the FBI, the ones in, in the various field offices, the ones who really do all the work um, are angry. And I, I've talked to many of them. They're very angry. Do they feel what, betrayed? Yes, that of what James Comey and Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and Andrew McCabe, the whole gang, did. They breached the country's trust in them and besmirched the good name and reputation of those hardworking rank and file FBI agents. But I have to also uh, ask you, when this FISA warrant, which is the basis right. of all of this, this was put before a FISA judge, does he not maybe feel a little bit sucker punched that somebody put stuff in front of him that was paid for by $9 million of the Clinton campaign. It was, it was a fabricated document that did not have basis in fact. There were a succession of judges that were at, on the FISA court that were deceived and lied to. Uh, they didn't disclose the fact that the document it came from, the Christopher Steele dossier, was unverified in violation of the law. They didn't disclose that Hillary Clinton was paying for it in the Democratic National Committee. That was buried in a cryptic footnote, footnote number eight, it's in the book. And my wife, when she read that chapter, said, are you kidding me? You'd have to be clairvoyant and telepathic to be able to figure this out. That was a fraud on the court. And it was also, as I explained in the book, six different felonies by all of the people who signed off on those FISA warrants, uh, vouching that it was real and authentic when it was a lie. Well, I want to just tell you, the Russia hoax, it, it's on the bestseller list now Thank for three you. weeks, number one on the bestseller list, not just on the list, number one, for a reason. It's a phenomenal book. And if you don't understand all this stuff that's going on, I, I'm just going to tell you, even if you think Hillary is wonderful and Trump is horrible, read the book, The Russia Hoax, Greg Jarrett. This is a book that will help explain more, and I've, I've known no one who's done a better job of putting it together. Keith, I want you to tell the audience why the rest of this show is not a hoax. I can do that. Yeah, I know there's no hoax, but there's a lot of bull, because coming up, Mike goes professional bull riding. Then singer Matthew West performs it later. Warm advice for turning up the heat in your marriage. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. Trey Corley and the Music City Connection bring us back in to our studio with a little Credence Clearwater song. Now, Trey is standing by with a very good-looking ball cap from some friends in Georgia. Trey, who are you representing tonight? Yes, sir. This is a very cool hat. This hat is from the Milltown Music Hall located in the town of Bremen, Georgia. Now, look, they've hosted performances by incredible people like Marty Stewart, Clint Black, Kansas, Winona Judd, one of my favorite, 
Kenny Loggins, if you heard of him, he's pretty cool. And many, many, many more. But this, this hat is just cool. Thanks for sending it in, guys. Way cool. Well, we're happy that you have a hat to wear because we don't want to see any more of you than we have to. Thank uh, you. Appreciate it. But we also want to recognize... <laughs> We also want to recognize founders Randall and Tina Redding for how they've shared their passion for music by giving back to their hometown of Bremen, Georgia. Now, I've been to this wonderful theater. I saw the Gatlin brothers there. In fact, one of the Gatlin brothers, Rudy Gatlin, who might just be the smartest of the bunch, he is here in our audience tonight. Rudy, say hello to us out there. The Gatlin brothers were fantastic there, and if you are in West Georgia anytime, I hope you will visit Milltown Music Hall. T. Graham Brown, Jimmy Booth, and Diamond Rio, that's just a few of the great shows that are coming up in September. So visit MilltownMusicHall.com for all the details. Now, I had the chance to join with some rip, snorting, rough, and tumble bulls, as well as the fellows who ride them. The prof oh, I didn't go to Washington. No, that was not where the bulls were. <laughs> and the things that they do. No, this is the Professional Bull Riders Competition. I had the incredible privilege of visiting the PBR competition in Nashville last week. As my five-year-old grandson said, who got to go with us, he said, I asked him, do you like it? He said, Papa, I didn't like it. I loved it. And boy, did he. Sean, let's talk about how did PBR get started? What's the origins? Well, you know, 25 years ago, actually 26 years ago, 20 bull riders got together, the top guys in the world. They were beating themselves up in rodeo, and uh, they had just lost a good friend of theirs, Lane Frost. And uh, 20 of them got together and invested $1,000 a piece to start the PBR. We have about 82 million fans uh, around the world that uh, follow the sport on TV or attend events, so touch a lot of people these days. Let's talk about Ryan Weaver. He's one of the people you've partnered with, a wonderful guy, veteran, and has become an important part of the PBR experience, bringing music and bringing patriotism. How did that uh, partnership happen? Yeah, so I think it was three or four years ago, I was at a, uh, actually an 80s hairband festival, <laughs> and, uh, and he told his story. And, you know, it just grabbed me. And then a year or so later, I was getting ready to launch Celebrate America and the theme and we needed a voice and a and a identity for that whole thing and Ryan was the immediate you know first person that came to mind. Everyone in the audience get your cell phone lights out and let's show our heroes how much we love them. Let's light this entire arena for our heroes across the nation and deploy. Look at that. Show them how much you love them Nashville Tennessee. PBR is the most patriotic organization as far as I'm concerned. They represent the red, white, and blue bleeding, blue-collar workers of America. I can't be more proud of being part of an organization that truly stands behind our law enforcement, first responders, and military heroes. Shorty Gorham created the We Stand United Pledge, and I fully 100% support that pledge. You know, in the past couple years, we've had a lot of guys taking a knee during the anthem and doing different things. and. And we got together as a group and, and I started a pledge to where every one of our athletes voluntarily signed the pledge just saying, hey, that we're going to stand up and we're going to honor the flag no matter what country we're in. We've had Brazilians, we've had Australians, Canadians, uh, Mexico uh, athletes signed it. If you want to see Patriots, come right here at the TBR. There's so much disconnect these days between cowboys even, but certainly bull riding that a lot of people don't think this is for them, that this event's for them. And then when they do take the time, when we can cut through, and they show up and they come out, they realize it's fantastic entertainment, it's uh, Americana on steroids, that it's just a great night and a great entertainment experience, and we just need more people to give us a shot. Well, I think everyone can agree that American patriotism is the foundation of the PBR brand. And speaking of the PBR brand, I want you to check out this incredible hat and this belt buckle that they gave me. I'm pretty happy about this. 
I had the time of my life and my whole family love PBR. And can you believe there's still an event that starts unapologetically with an invocation? And during the national anthem, I assure you, no one took a knee. And if you like a little excitement in your entertainment, be sure to experience a PBR event near you. Or if you'd like to check out their gear and merchandise, go to PBR.com. That's PBR.com. All right, Keith, I want to know what adrenaline pump and action we have coming up. Who was that cowboy? Next, Matthew West performed one of his great hits. Then we'll explore those in case you missed it headlines. And author Dr. Ken Barnes reveals why capitalism without morality will always fail. It's all straight ahead on Huckabee. And welcome back. Be sure and drop by MikeHuckabee.com, find out my insights and explanations of the news of the day. And while you peruse MikeHuckabee.com, you can follow me on Twitter at GovMikeHuckabee. But do it while you still can, because you never know when I might be deemed too funny for a conservative and get blocked <laughs> by the Silicon Valley censors. And they're out there. Well, let me tell you about my next guest. He is a hit-making singer and songwriting craftsman. He's got a brand new CD, it's called All In. Centers on his personal passion to live his life to the fullest, whether he's being a father and husband or performing this next song. Please welcome one of our favorites, Matthew West, who will sing Broken Things. If grace was a kingdom, I stopped at the gate. Thinking I don't deserve to pass through after all the mistakes that I made. Oh, but I heard a whisper as heaven bent down. Said, child, don't you know that the first will be last and the last get a crown? And now I'm just a beggar in the I wish I could bring so much more But if it's true That you can use broken things yeah, Then here I am, Lord, I'm all yours Oh, yeah Oh, oh, oh. The pages of history they tell me it's true That it's never the perfect It's always the ones with the scars that you lose Oh, it's the rebels and the prodigals It's the humble and the weak All the misfit heroes you chose Tell me there's hope for sinners like me just a beggar in the presence of a king And I wish I could bring so much more But if it's true that you use broken things, Lord Then here I am at the table just waiting for you so come on inside thank you matthew yeah, my pleasure honored to have you brand new album all in yeah. 
And this is a little different kind of approach for you. Tell me about what makes this album different than the others that you've done? I'm passionate about storytelling. And over the years, my time in Nashville, you'd see it on billboards everywhere. It all begins with a song. And I like to back that up one step further. It all, every song begins with a story. And so I've actually been on a mission for the last several years collecting the stories of people's lives. And I've collected over 40,000 stories, testimonies, wow. people just sharing about their lives, what they're going through, maybe what God's done in their lives. And many of those songs have inspired, uh, been inspired by the stories of people's lives. With this record, All In, I found myself kind of asking this personal question, okay, God, how do you want me to go all in in my life? You had a conversation with Billy Graham that was very influential, and I read about it. I want you to tell me, you asked him a question. What was the question and what was his answer? Well, I, at the age of 13 years old, I actually uh, had the, the defining moment of my life. I asked Jesus into my heart, watching a Billy Graham crusade on television. Mm. Now, I'm a preacher's kid, so I always joke with my dad that I heard thousands of his sermons, but it took Billy Graham to <laughs> really make it stick. You really you did know. a lot to your dad's <laughs> ego. You yeah. know that, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> But, uh, terrible. <laughs> but, but fast forward many years later, my music career started taking off, and I had the opportunity to have a root beer with Reverend Billy Graham. One of the questions I asked him was, does Billy Graham have any regrets? And he shared so honestly and authentically, he said his greatest regret was the time that he had to spend away from his, his family while he was traveling for a good mm -hmm. cause. But he said, I know God's given me grace for that, but if I could go back, I would do that differently. And in that moment, I realized Reverend Graham wasn't just telling me his regret. He knew my line of work and that it would take me many places away from my own wife and my own daughters. And I think he was reminding me in that moment not to miss what really matters. Let me tell everybody Matthew West's All In CD is available. You can stream it on Spotify. Get it at Apple Music and Amazon Music. You can buy it at iTunes. You can find information on his concert dates right there on your screen, MatthewWest.com. MatthewWest.com. Hope we'll get him back again. Thank you. In the meantime, Keith, let me tell you something that is not broken. That's tonight's show, and I'll bet there's a whole <laughs> lot more coming. You gotta believe it. Coming up next, in case you missed it, author Dr. Ken Barnes and relationship expert Sheila Ray Gregoire. Huckabee will be back in 60 seconds. I encourage you to join Hillsdale College for their free online course on our Constitution. Frankly, I'm truly worried that a lot of Americans know next to nothing about this great document, even though it's the foundation of our freedom. It'll revolutionize your thinking on our nation today. So let me encourage you, visit Hillsdale College, register for their free course on the Constitution. Well, this week's news has been filled with baked good assaults and greater ethical treatment of animal crackers. And it's why we are cutting carbs and we're bringing you the meat of stories that you may have missed in a segment that we call In Case You Missed It. That's right. Well, the liberal elite have been doing their best to besmirch the Supreme Court nomination of Justice Brett Kavanaugh, but they've had no luck with this constitutionalist and his love of family, faith, and country. So, after the Democrats in office failed to convince the public that he lied to Congress, they've moved on to these heinous charges against Judge Kavanaugh. Number one, they said that the name Brett is not befitting a Supreme Court justice. I'm sure that historic justices like Bushrod Washington, Melville Fuller, and Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus Lamar the second, are all thinking, oh boy, how did we get a pass? <laughs> Those were all real justices, by the way. And the second one is this. Judge Kavanaugh's education was too elite. Yes, that's right, he went to Yale Law, just like three other justices currently serving went to Yale Law. Their third one is this, that he spent too much on baseball tickets to the Washington Nationals. I gotta confess, they may have something on this one. <laughs> I'm actually rethinking my own support of his nomination. Now, it's not the amount of money that he spent. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, it's that he would be such a fan of the Nationals. Seriously, Judge Kavanaugh, couldn't you support a real baseball team like the St. Louis Cardinals or the Texas Rangers? Come on. Well, let's just hope the nominating process goes fairly and no one looks into his love of family, or finds out that he likes to play pickup basketball. 
And I'm going to try to give him another look if he will just get his mind right about baseball. Maybe so. <laughs> All right, our second story tonight. A mother in the Chicago suburb of Wilmette was reported to police this week because she allowed her daughter to walk their dog, Marshmallow, around the block. Yeah, that's why she was reported. I'm not making this up. Some pretty serious crimes going on there in the birthplace of Charlton Heston, who is from Wilmette. A neighbor anonymously, of course, anonymously, such bravery, called the police after seeing the eight-year-old walking a dog on her own, launching a police visit and a child welfare services investigation. The mom, Corey Wyden, homeschools her son and daughter, and she said, the funny thing is, I'm a joke with my friends because my kids are around me all the time. Wyden noted that she watches the daughter from her living room window when she's out walking the dog. And Wyden went on to describe the stress that her entire family felt because of the police and child welfare investigators having questioned them, as well as other family members and the kid's pediatrician. In the end, no evidence of neglect. I gotta tell you, I shudder to think what other responsible families might be allowing their children to do. I mean, they might even let them take out the trash, <laughs> mow the lawn, and heaven forbid, play at the playground park. That would be just awful. We can only hope for other nosy and anonymous neighbors who will call officials on families without ever crossing the street to ask if all is well. But let me tell you something. If my parents had been held to that kind of absurd standard in the 50s and 60s, they would have qualified for a life without parole sentence and solitary confinement. <laughs> but then I guess I would have run all over town anytime I wanted. Our next story from our Love on the Rocks file. Heartbroken and hard-drinking Jeffrey Tomerlin was stumbling along in Nashville, of course he was, when he spied his ex sitting in a car with her new boyfriend. Oh, I know this sounds like a country music lyric, but it's all true. Tomerlin was on the rise, so he did what any drunken and jilted person might do. He attacked his ex with a biscuit. a biscuit, <laughs> hurling it at her head, but missing. He then began punching the boyfriend's car hood and threatening to kill them. Police quickly arrived on the scene and arrested Tomlin for vandalism and assault, perhaps maybe assault with a breadly weapon. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if he even had enough dough for his bail. Now, if liberal thinking holds fast in this story, the left will mount a legal case to hold the bakers who created that biscuit liable for any injury or damage, and Americans will soon need permits to carry their biscuits in public, and they butter be trained and have undergone a biscuit background check. Folks, there's one thing about it. We need biscuit control. First, they came for my Browning shotgun. Now, they want my biscuits. <laughs> well, after more than 110 years and 106 varieties of animals, the iconic Barnum Animal Crackers box has gone the way of the American circus, which means kaput. With 40 million boxes of animal crackers sold every year, I mean, you'd think consumers were pretty satisfied with the product, but oh no, 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 no. The animal rights group PETA has finally convinced Nabisco to change the iconic box of Barnum's Animal Crackers, a product that's been around for 110 years. And they got them to remove the circus cage bar design. The new box will depict the giraffes, the lions, and the other animals running free and happy on the African savanna. <laughs> Well, actually, not so happy for the giraffes since they'll probably be running from the lions. <laughs> PETA tends to think of nature as a Disney cartoon rather than Woody Allen's far more accurate description. It's one big restaurant out there. <laughs> now, I did notice just a slight smirk on that lion's face because I wonder if future boxes may find other animals gone as the lion enjoys his natural meals. Still... Congratulations to PETA for having the guts to expend the time, the energy, and their donors' money to take on an animal cruelty case that nobody else might have been brave enough or crazy enough to even fight. And I'm talking about the needless, cruel confinement of animal-shaped cookies in drawings on cages on cardboard boxes. 
How can we say we are completely human if we ignore the imaginary suffering of defenseless graham crackers? Let's hope PETA doesn't go so far that vegetarians arguing with each other can no longer be called a beef. All right, we read the news so you don't have to. And by the way, for my PETA friends, we eat the meat so you don't have to. Well, my next guest has a unique dual career. He's been a business executive for multi-billion dollar corporations and served as an ordained minister and theological scholar at Oxford University before returning to teach at his alma mater, Gordon-Conwell Seminary in Boston. In his brand new book called Redeeming Capitalism, he tells us how to fight back against the left's assault on capitalism by restoring its moral and biblical foundations. Please welcome Dr. Ken Barnes. Dr. Barnes, great having you here. Let me get right to a question because a lot of people are saying today, hey, Jesus was a socialist. <laughs> no, Jesus wasn't a socialist. <laughs> we can put that to bed. Uh, of course, he wasn't a capitalist either, if we want to be fair. Capitalism is a, a relatively recent phenomenon in the history of economics, and I unpack that in the book. So is there a biblical basis for capitalism without trying to sort of twist the scriptures into an economic system? No, I, I wouldn't say that there's a biblical basis for it, but there is a requirement for morality in order for capitalism to work properly. And the problem we have today is we have what I call postmodern capitalism, which is very different than the capitalism of previous generations. Capitalism built great things in this country. It built schools and hospitals and churches and libraries and uh, great works of art where people invested the money that they made in things that were not about them, but about their communities. But there seems to be a capitalism today which says, it's all mine, I can do whatever I want. Unfortunately, in recent generations, uh, this ethical egoism that suggests the only moral responsibility of a business person is to make as much money as possible uh, is really not uh, an effective ethic when it comes to how we want our economic system to work. So greed is the problem and a general lack of morality is the problem. And I think the essence of your book, Redeeming Capitalism, is no, real capitalism has to have some type of moral framework. For most of history, capitalism was a moral science. When you go back to the beginnings of capitalism, I have a whole chapter on Adam Smith. Everyone talks about um, Wealth of Nations as Adam Smith's great work. In fact, a book called Moral Sentiments was written 20 years before, and everything he says about capitalism in Wealth of Nations is built upon the moral presumptions that he lays out in Moral Sentiments. In 2008, we had this huge financial collapse. Mm -hmm. Real estate market collapsed, the banks were all scared. What caused that? One was derivatives, the other was... And, and explain derivatives, because okay. I mean, that's easy for you to say, but what, what does that mean? Well, derivatives are a financial instrument that uh, are built on, especially in the case of the debt derivatives that were popular at the time, that are built on the projected cash flow uh, of people who promised to pay loans. And unfortunately, people were given loans who had no right to have those loans. Uh, they were called ninja mortgages. No income, no job, no assets. And we were still giving people mortgages. It's no wonder that they defaulted. But the problem is, the reason why people were giving them mortgages was because the lender or the person making the decision wouldn't keep that debt on their own books. They would put it together with other mortgages and sell it off as a separate financial instrument. So they passed the risk on to other people. And if you pass risk on to other people, you've made a moral decision to do that and the whole thing came crashing down. So it was a moral issue. There were, there were immoral people who created a system that they knew, deep down, they knew could not work and was going to collapse, but they were making their money and that's all they cared about. Absolutely. In fact, I tell my students that Every economic decision we all make, and it doesn't matter if it's the decision to buy a new pair of shoes or close a factory and build it offshore, large and small, every economic decision we make is a moral choice. 
So therefore, we have to know what the underlying moral principles are that are driving that system. It's a fascinating insight into our economic system. I mean, you, you specifically talk about capitalism. Redeeming it means that you're trying to salvage it, make it so that it works. But I think the powerful message in this book is that it can't work unless we are moral people who not only look at our own circumstances, but we look at those around us, our neighbors, our communities, and we also care about what's happening to them. Dr. Barnes, thank you. What a great message and how timely it is when so many people think that the answer is just taking it all away from people who work and passing it around and that that's supposed to be some utopia. If you're interested in that uh, argument, please uh, buy the book. Because right now, Greg Jarrett's book is number one on the bestseller list. And I'm not even number one on my own kid's bestseller list. So. Well, you'll be right at the top of the list after being on our show. Because I'm going to tell our folks right now that you can find Dr. Ken Barnes' important work, Redeeming Capitalism, at Amazon and his website, redeemingcapitalism.org. Now, Keith, why don't you capitalize on the moment by previewing what's coming up next. Sounds like a winner to me. When we return, Sheila Ray Gregoire tells us how to warm up our love life and make marriages last. And Trey Corley and the band then get their guns and roses on when Huckabee continues. My next guest writes one of the top mommy blogs on the internet. It's called To Love, Honor, and Vacuum. It's also the title of one of her eight popular books. She brings humor, insight, and a strong Christian perspective to her advice on family life. Please welcome Sheila Ray Gregoire. Sheila, so Hi. nice having you here. Thank you. I tried to figure out how to uh, how to classify you, and I decided somewhat of a mix between maybe Irma Bombeck from Days Gone By um, <laughs> to Dr. Ruth. Is that a good combo? I, I think it is, and I'm, I'm a very weird person because there's not a lot of people who talk about sex from a Christian perspective. No, so. they don't. And, I know. And we do that. Is it okay that we... Okay, her no one's book, fainted yet. No one's fainted yet, so that's Oh, good. yes, they yes. have. There's six people out there. No, your new book is called A Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. And that's you're right. right. A lot of people feel like that that's kind of off limits if you're a person of faith. You yeah. say, no, it isn't. Well, I mean, we kind of know who created it. Yeah. And, uh, and he made it to be good, so let's talk about it. Because if we don't talk about it, we leave a vacuum. Yeah. And... and some pretty ugly stuff has come into that vacuum lately, and we need to reclaim that space. I think that's an important point, because the reason that a lot of people maybe think that sexual relationships are dirty mm -hmm. is because they've been robbed from us from the original yeah. intent. Yeah, and you know, when, when two people get married, they anticipate that it's gonna be wonderful. I mean, most people do, they're looking forward to it. And what I've found as I talked to women um, over the years is that for a lot of them, it just did not live up to all the hype and they've kind of given up. And I think a lot of that is because of the way that our media portrays sex, okay? Because yeah. our media portrays it, that no matter what you're watching, TV show, movie, whatever it is, right? Here's, here's the plot, okay? The couple is together and they're panting and then they kiss and then the clothes come off and they end up in bed. That's what always happens, right? Pant, kiss, mm -hmm. close, bed. So that's what we think is the order. Pant, kiss, close, bed. So then you get married and, and you're a woman and you're at home and you're waiting to pant. And nothing's happening, so you figure that you're just not in the mood. And that's the problem, is that we don't understand that's not how women were made. You know, when you said that a lot <laughs> of women um, are disappointed in how things turn out, let me just ask for a show of hands. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm not. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if I did that? <clears throat> Probably not, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> when you talk about these issues, whether it's in your blog or book, mm -hmm. Do you get some pushback from people who say, hey, Sheila, mm -hmm. ought to stay away from stuff like that? You know, not as much as you would think, because I, I think that increasingly we are realizing we need to talk about this. And, and I, I think often with women too, what we don't understand is that um, 
we may have a sex drive, but it doesn't look the way our husbands does in general. And so if we're waiting to be in the mood, it's just not gonna happen. But if we start to say, you know, instead of saying to your body, hey, do you want to tonight? If you start saying to your body, yo, we're gonna do this because I need this, <laughs> it works a lot better. <laughs> and, you know, but, but the other issue, and I don't think you're gonna believe me on this, okay? What do you think? I haven't believed you on anything you've said so far. Okay, well then, now, I mean, we'll just go right along. What do you think is the biggest problem that we're seeing today that we didn't see five years ago in marriages? Maybe the advent or the, the level of pornography where people are looking at, at things that aren't yeah. even true? It's related to that, okay. but I would say that it's that men have no sex drive. You think? Increasingly, what we're finding is that men are losing their sex drive. In about 30% of marriages, he has the lower sex drive. 10 years ago, it would have been 15%. Uh. Today, it's 30%. And it's largely because of pornography, because mm. porn rewires your brain so that what is arousing is an image or a video instead of a person. Mm. And then when you're with your wife, nothing happens and it's wrecking marriages, and we need to get real about this. It's not something that is gonna get people more in the mood, it is something which is gonna destroy intimacy if we don't deal with it appropriately. In addition to the book that you've done, I think you're exactly right. In addition to the book you've done, you do the blog. Yeah. But you're doing conferences uh, yes. all over the country. Yes. You and your husband, who's a pediatrician, I understand. Yes. You guys drive all over the country in an RV doing these conferences and, yes. and talking to women and men and yep. I guess to yes. men too and men couples <clears throat> and yeah because you know we have been we've been married for 26 years now happily married for 21 <laughs> and uh and you aren't kidding no I'm I mean, quite I, serious I really <laughs> that the first years of your marriage they weren't all lovely and glorious and you're honest about that. oh yeah because marriages have their ups and downs you know we were joking about how many would say um, that sex wasn't what they anticipated. But I'm looking at your audience, and you know, I bet you a lot of you are in pretty good years, because you know what the best years for sex and marriage are? No. Um, years 16 to 24. All the right. book is called The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Remember, The Good Girl's Guide. <laughs> my, my thanks to Sheila for being here, and for all that she's doing to inspire women and the rest of us to make our marriages and families all that they're intended to be. Sheila's latest book that I just mentioned, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, addresses sex as a God-created, wonderful part of marriage. Get your copy. Find tons of information, inspiration, even fun all about marriage, as well as parenting, at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. Tolovehonorandvacuum.com. Keith, why don't you vacuum up the rest of our next segment? Tell us what's coming up. When we return, Trey Corley of the Music City Connection performs Sweet Child of Mine right here on Huckabee. Okay, Governor, it's time to steal the show. I've been waiting for this all my life. From now on, I'll be saying, next on Bilberry. No, <laughs> I take a special opportunity. I understand a former governor of Arkansas and presidential candidates having a birthday. Yeah, how about that? Where's your hat? Everybody put your hats on. We're gonna sing to the governor. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Governor Huckabee. Thank you. Not only do we have a 50-pound cake, it's wow. a 50-pound cake. We have some other little goodies for you. Uh, you this see. is, a, you guys really did surprise yeah. me. I'm not kidding. You didn't know anything about I really that. did not. We've ignored Did the fire marshal approve this? Did no. Well, you're special, so we Thank don't have you. to have it approved. There's your first gift. I want to open it up yes, and you see did. it. Well, you may not after you see it, but... <laughs> I've always wanted that, your my birthday hair. hat, yeah, with the Billy Ray Cyrus mullet. <laughs> sing a little, you sing know, a little achy, you, breaky You know heart. what's funny? What? If I could grow this much hair, I would have this much <laughs> hair. 
I well, once did when I was in college, and I would love to have it again. Oh, I yeah. I pray that those days are gone. We all remember those days. And some other days are Here's gone, too. Here's gift number two. All right, let's see what this yeah. is. Open the card. Check it out. There you go. From all of us. Oh, it's got the whole staff has signed. Thank you, guys. I will read it later. Yeah. That's beautiful. And now, I want to get to that cake. Yeah. yeah. 50 pounds. I've never seen a 50 pounds. I don't think cake. I have either. I wonder how many pounds I wonder pounds if I have to eat cake. it all at one time or... All by yourself. Yeah. It says... 1955 was a great year. Happy birthday. I think it's time for the hat to go. <laughs> he won't do it. I... Oh, look here. <laughs> all the stuff from 1955. Yeah, all the candies that were popular. Remember candy cigarettes? Yes, I do. Boy, is candy that politically cigarettes. incorrect or what? That's as close as I ever got to smoking one. I never had yeah. one in my life. What is that? that Good looks... heavens. Oh, Mary Jane. I'd forgotten about that one. Re made with real peanut butter. Let me tell you something, Keith. In the 60s, Mary Jane was not that a was candy That was a whole bar. other thing. Whole other thing. Not a candy bar. <laughs> and I did not chew. Yeah. Now, our third gift, I think you already have, don't oh. you? Oh, I do. Uh, yes. Let me show you something. The wonderful people at Durango, they make some wonderful, fantastic, and beautiful boots, and they have presented me look these I had. And I love these. Look Man. And look underneath. Cool. Soul. These boots have soul. Uh-huh. And are oh, made for these. walking. I want to say thanks to Durango. I mean, those are going to be fun to wear and patriotic. And uh, when you're wearing boots, you can't take a knee. Uh-huh. That's so, right. Well, this is great. Thanks to all of you for helping make my birthday incredibly special. What an honor. And thanks to all of our friends who joined us tonight for the show. Be sure to tune in next week. We've got a great group. Candace Owens will be here. Senator Mike Lee, comedian Robert G. Lee, and that great 60s hit maker Gary Lewis is going to be on our show. I can't wait. Until then, thank you. Have a wonderful week. Good night. God bless. And let's eat some cake. Let's do it. Yeah!